Welcome to the Purposeful Parenting Podcast. I'm Harriet Rowe, wife and mother of four adult children, three girls and one boy, all graduates of the United States Military Academy at West Point. Grab a cup of tea or coffee, get cozy, and take in your weekly dose of Purposeful Parenting. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of Purposeful Parenting. As you might imagine, these episodes in December will circle around Christmas. Christmas is a time of love and it all started thousands of years ago. God spoke prophetically through people when it came to bringing about his plan to redeem the world. Robert Morris in his book states that he discovered seven words that God delivered around the birth of his son. Now, take a minute and see if you might know what these seven words are. Well, I'll briefly cover them, but I would encourage you to check out Robert Morris's book. It's called Seven Words of Christmas. It's perfect for helping children learn more about Christmas and staying focused on what this month means and what Christmas is all about. Seven times God spoke through someone in connection with the birth of his son. And I think in reviewing these words, it's a perfect way to spend as we focus on Christmas. Luke 1, 67 through 69 reads, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit And prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The first word of Christmas is salvation. Is that one of the words you chose? Well, let's go on and see what Robert Morris has to say. The first word of Christmas begins with an elderly couple living roughly about 19 miles south of Jerusalem in Hebron. Zacharias and Elizabeth were both of the priestly tribe of Levi. They were direct descendants of Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. Zacharias and Elizabeth were childless. Now, as a Levitical priest, Zacharias was required to make journeys into Jerusalem whenever his turn came to administer the temple sacrifices and offerings for a week, as well as some of the great feasts and festivals of the Jewish people. Now, Zacharias and Elizabeth had lived a long and well, um, well cared for life, but they carried a lifelong, seemingly unhealable heartache. You see, Luke's gospel tells us, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. That's in Luke 1, 6 through 7. Now, to be childless and childless in that time and culture was both humiliating for the couple and it was economically 
catastrophic for the wife. You see, children were viewed as a blessing and therefore evidence of God's favor. Childless women were often left destitute and reduced to spending solely upon, depending solely upon charity when their husbands passed away. Now, Zacharias revealed something that happened to him when he was in the temple. What he told was that God's heavenly messenger had suddenly appeared standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, the altar of incense in Jerusalem temple was a special place. It was located just outside of the Holy of Holies. A priest that was chosen by Lot would enter this sacred space alone, and he would offer a very distinct type of incense as an offering to God. Every morning and evening, there were hundreds and even thousands of pious Jews would gather in the courts outside to pray as this ceremony took place within. Now, the week arrived when it was time for Zacharias's group of priests to minister in the magnificent temple in Jerusalem. There, in the second most sacred space in all of Judaism, Zacharias was startled to see an angel standing beside the altar. This isn't just any angel, by the way. It was Gabriel, the archangel, God's designated messenger for his announcements concerning the coming of the Messiah. A few months after this appearance to Zacharias, Gabriel will pay a visit to a young woman named Mary to give her some surprising news as well. Well, the altar of incense is about prayer, and Gabriel's message on this day to Zacharias is concerning the one prayer that Zacharias and his wife had prayed more than any other throughout their lives together. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Well, the angel went on to let the old priest know that this miracle son would grow up to have a special, to be a special forerunner of the Messiah, as prophesied by the prophet Malachi in the final words of the Old Testament. Clearly, this was a lot to take in. When Zacharias recovered enough to muster a response, It was not exactly filled with faith and confidence. In fact, he replied, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Well, the angel answered him and he said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Gabriel went on to say, here's a sign for you, Zacharias, not being able to talk. Now, after presenting the incense offering, the performing priest is supposed to walk out to the outer court and speak a blessing over the prayers assembled there. On this day, what the congregation saw was an 
elderly priest staggering out from behind the curtains, gesturing wildly and pointing back to the holy place. He speaks no blessing because he can't, but he just had an amazing blessing spoken to him. Our patient, merciful God is faithful to perform his word. Can you imagine what it was like when Zacharias got home and was trying to explain to Elizabeth what had happened? He probably played a game of charades trying to get Elizabeth to understand what had happened. Well, needless to say, Zacharias must have believed what the angel said because he did his part. And according to Luke 1.24, now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. In other words, once again, as I said, Zacharias did his part. If you recall, Gabriel told Zacharias that the child's name would be John. Now, somehow, Zacharias must have communicated that to Elizabeth because eight days after the birth, on the day the baby boy was to be circumcised, their relatives asked the question that all relatives ask of brand new parents. What's his name? Normally, in that culture, that question would be answered by the child's father. But as we know, Zacharias was still mute at this point and couldn't answer even though the angel's promise had indeed been fulfilled. So Elizabeth answered instead, and she said, he shall be called John. Now their friends and their relatives were puzzled over this because they had assumed that the boy would be named after his father. And then somebody pointed out that no one in their extended family or their lineage had a name John. So they looked in the direction of of the father, Zacharias, for confirmation. So Zacharias grabbed a tablet and he wrote down emphatically, his name is John. And as soon as he wrote those words, he was able to speak again. Luke 1, 68 through 69 says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The horn of salvation Zacharias is prophesying about here is not his son, John, but the Holy Spirit. He is speaking of the one for whom John will one day prepare the way. Gabriel had told Zacharias that his miracle child will be the forerunner prophesied by Malachi. Salvation is the first word. Salvation is a key message of Christmas because it is at its heart the story of God sending his son to save us from sin. Jesus is our deliverer. He preserves us. He restores us. And he was safety sent from God. So don't lose sight of this beautiful truth this Christmas and help your child to know and understand the importance of salvation. Luke one thirty says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So the second word of Christmas is favor. 
Now, roughly six months after visiting Zacharias beside the altar of incense, the archangel Gabriel heads for the town of Nazareth in Galilee to tell a startled young girl she will soon become the mother of the Redeemer of the whole world. She's not even married yet, but she's about to get the news that her firstborn will be the last Adam. Now, Isaiah had foreseen this event more than 700 years earlier. Isaiah 7.14 said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Gabriel's message to um, Mary begins with a remarkable greeting. He says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women highly favored. Now, scholars, lawyers, and learned rabbis in Jerusalem would be bewildered if they had heard someone call Mary highly favored. Because according to the world, Mary had no credentials. No one who matters has ever heard of her parents or of her. She lived in rural Galilee, and they were considered uneducated. And yet here you have the archangel of the Most High standing there telling this open-mouthed little girl that she is highly favored and blessed among all women. Needless to say, she was startled, alarmed, and confused. Perceiving her questions reassures her, calling her by name. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, know that we are not credentialed either. We too have been invited to participate in God's glorious plan for the saving of the world. In Luke 1, 30 through 33, we read, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Greek is an extremely precise language, and that's the language that Luke wrote in. And the English word translated as favor in Luke one thirty is the Greek word charis. This word appears 136 times in the New Testament, which tells us that it's very important as far as a concept in the new covenant, uh, covenant of God established through Jesus's death and resurrection. Yet only six times is it translated as favor. The other 130 times, is it is translated as grace. This is because deeply rooted in the meaning of charis is the concept of a gift, something wonderful that is utterly free and unearned. So we have grace and gift in this word favor. God sent Jesus as our gift, and because of Jesus, we have grace, his amazing grace. Needless to say, Mary was wondering how all of this was going to take place. Notice she didn't doubt that it would take place. She just wondered how. And she asked, how can this be 
since I do not know a man. And the angel responded by explaining how such a thing could take place. He said, and the angels answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth Your relative has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Mary's response then was, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Third word is blessed. Luke 1, 41 through 42. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, the first time Jesus meets his cousin John, they were in the womb. Two related women, one only a teen, and the other well in advanced for her years, found themselves standing side by side, pregnant. Mary had gone to visit Elizabeth. And Luke 1.41 tells us, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The angel Gabriel had told Zacharias beside the altar of incense, was that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Elizabeth had a temporary filling of the Holy Spirit, and she said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Luke 1, 42 through 45. Three times in this brief explosion of joy and wonder, Elizabeth uses the word blessed, the third word of Christmas. Arise, Take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Matthew 2.13, and the next word of Christmas is guidance. Herod was the king of Judah, and he was depraved, demented, and paranoid. You see, he had heard that a baby was being born, and that this baby was eventually going to take over the throne. So he ordered all of the babies, the infants and toddler boys to be killed that were in and around Bethlehem. But you see, God had put a plan in place and he was not going to let this plan just disappear. So an unnamed angel was appeared to Joseph in the night and warned him of the danger to Jesus, who had been recently born by Mary of Mary. So an angel appeared to Joseph, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy. 
Matthew 2.13. Now, this wasn't the first time an angel had gone to Joseph. The first time was when Joseph learned that the, the girl, Mary, whom he was engaged to, was pregnant. Joseph had planned to just put her away rather than continuing on with the marriage. But an angel appeared and told him that everything was of God's making. Once Herod died, the angel appeared to Joseph in Egypt and told him, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. As Joseph heads back to his ancestral homeland of Judah with his young family, he's visited a fourth time and he is told to avoid Judah and to settle in the north in Mary's home of Galilee. Is it no wonder then that the word guidance is one of the words of Christmas? The next word is joy. Luke 2.10 tells us, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of joy, which will be to all people. Luke 2 tells us, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of joy, which will be to all people. Luke 2, 8 through 10. Joy is a perfect word for Christmas. The joy of knowing that God sent his only begotten son so that we could have everlasting life. Is that no wonder that joy is one of the words for Christmas? Redemption is the next word. Luke 2.10, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Redemption. Redemption is the action of saving or being saved from sin. Jesus came to this earth, lived as a human, bore our sins on the cross, died for us. He paid for every sin that we will ever even think about. He redeemed us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for us. In fact, he was born to die for us. He knew what he was coming in here to do. He was the perfect man and died with all of our sins heaped upon him. Peace is the last word. Luke two twenty nine through 30. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. These are words that were spoken by Simeon. He had prayed that he would live long enough to see the eyes of the Savior, and God answered his prayer. Can you imagine the joy, the peace that Simeon had when he looked upon the face of Jesus, the Savior of the world? The Bible tells us that we are to teach our children. I can't think of a better place to start than to start 
with the seven words of Christmas, salvation, favor, blessed, guidance, joy, redemption, and peace. We can see Jesus' story in all of those. His story is love. His story is all about saving us and forgiving us of our sins. I would highly recommend the book by Robert Morris, Seven Words of Christmas. These seven words are the true heart of the Christmas story because they represent the heart of God for you and me. Please, parents, teach your children that God loves them and the true meaning of Christmas was found and wrapped up in that manger when Jesus Christ was born. Enjoy making the rest of the preparations for Christmas, and I hope you will continue to let your children know what the true meaning of Christmas is, because in everything we do for Christmas, we can always focus on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And as always, remember to parent on purpose. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Purposeful Parenting. For more tips on parenting, or if you would like to reach out, please visit me on HarrietRowe.com and follow me on Facebook, Harriet Rowe. That's Harriet with two T's. I look forward to grabbing a cup of tea or coffee with you next week. Feel free to invite a friend. Until then... This is Harriet Rowe reminding you to parent on purpose.